passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The feed! Said it's the monster up again! Face first with another sister Abigail! On the exposed wood of the ring, covered by the feed! We have a new Universal Champion! And we are live, everybody. Welcome to the SummerSlam Post Show. I am John Pollock, along with Wei Ting. And for all of you that are joining us live, let's all take a moment and look down at the clock. It is 10.17 p.m. Eastern Time. This show has already delivered. So thank you for this continuing. This, to me... Maybe it's not going to be story of the year, but it's going to come with its own category at the end of the year. Best thing WWE got right during the pandemic. There isn't a whole long list of it, but shortening up these pay-per-views, absolutely one of them. Yeah, I mean, certainly eight matches on this card, we were speculating about how much they would add. They added, they nothing. added nothing. In fact, they put one of those matches onto the kickoff. Um and it by the end of this show, like for the main event, I was full of energy. And coming out of the show, I had a great experience. I think that it's certainly something that deserves credit in that for the longest time, it felt like you could understand the strategy. It was, okay, this is our fan base that more, 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 they're going to watch it. We're going to ramp up this statistic that is number of minutes consumed on the network. And it seems that at least during this pandemic, whatever the thinking has been, it's been less is more. And I think that it's made for more enjoyable shows because I think for pay-per-view wise, I mean, I was pretty down on extreme rules, but I would say for several of the shows, I think just the fact that a typical SummerSlam, I was looking at like the past SummerSlams over the last few years. I mean, we'd be talking five plus hours minimum. Uh, when you throw in the kickoff tonight, they had even gone back and forth this week. It was originally advertised for a one hour kickoff, then a two hour kickoff. And what would the two hour kickoff have done? It would have been a bunch of throwing together matches that would have meant very little and just extended this by another hour. Instead, this was a tight three and a half hour show when you include the, the kickoff match starting, you know, r- realistically 15 minutes to the top of the hour. Um, and they put to me the of the whole card, they put a match that, I mean, I can't say was a big sacrifice putting on the kickoff show and was rather forgettable. I wouldn't call it a sacrifice. I would call it like a perfect placement for that particular match. To me, like its placement on the kickoff enhanced that match because I had automatically lowered expectations, not seeing it as a pay-per-view match. 
And, you know, as a match that just strictly needed to be there to whet your appetite, um, I thought it helped the match. Well, we're going to get into all of uh, the the SummerSlam happenings, and then we're going to be opening up, uh, taking your phone calls. So if you are one of our Double Double Ice Cap or Espresso patrons that's joining us live, uh, you will have the chance to call in, and we'll take as many calls as come in. But we are always live after uh, WWE pay-per-views for our Double Double Plus patrons, and... And we'll, uh, we will be for next Sunday as well. We will be. Exact same setup next week with Payback, where <laughs> tonight, uh, the big hook for Payback... There's going to be a women's tag title match, and that is it. We don't know who is in the match other than the champions, and that is what we have seven days out. And I've got to say, way we were expecting all these screwy finishes tonight. Um, you know, th- there was no big angle shot that necessitates a comeback. Like you would, beyond like a few mentions here and there, like you would have no kind of idea of any urgency that they're coming back with a pay-per-view next Sunday. It really begs the question why this pay-per-view is happening next week, unless we're getting some grand uh, angle tomorrow that pays off on Sunday, or at least it started on Sunday. I I think it's possible. Uh, You know, certainly uh, the return of Roman Reigns itself is going to be likely a big hook for payback. And his first match. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think he would do next Sunday. So, you know, regardless of like them not setting up any or making any match announcements tonight, um, I would say like the return of Roman Reigns alone is already going to be a huge hook and we'll see what else they serve up tomorrow. Yes, we shall see. But that was we can start there. The big story on the show tonight was Roman Reigns returning at the end of the main event after Bray Wyatt had won the universal title and. You know, I think it is a welcome return for Roman Reigns. I mean, oh, he yeah. looks in fantastic shape. And, I mean, let's be honest, SmackDown has struggled this year. because, And I think that missing that marquee star has been a big reason for it. And I think that Roman Reigns, like, listen, people would have gone nuts in a traditional setting after not seeing Roman Reigns for that long. And, yeah, I, I think it's like it's it's going to enhance the show that Roman Reigns is back and I think elevates that that title scene and you know you have you have a natural story that here's Braun the guy who uh, beat won the title without beating you for it and or took your shot for it against Goldberg uh, you've got the fiend with the title and this is going to be great for SmackDown which has been hurt numbers wise throughout this whole pandemic the man has been sorely missed you know we are talking about uh, a time when we last saw him where um Becky was still present um where crowds were still present, uh, and the entire landscape has completely changed since then. So uh, it's, you know, I was certainly happy to, to see his face, and I'm sure they are uh, incredibly well welcoming of, of uh, having, you know, their franchise player back on the show. Mm-hmm. And it seemed that it was only going to be a matter of time. Like once Roman felt, you know, it was, it, because you go back to March, like he did, he did one empty arena show as i recalled at the pc where he did the contract signing with goldberg and then it was the week of the tapings for wrestlemania that he pulled himself out and you know at that time in march i can't imagine anyone was thinking that here we were talking well maybe wrestlemania should be postponed till the summer and no one could have forecasted that this is where we would be in august so at at this point you know you reassess and i guess roman reigns he feels comfortable enough but I give this guy credit for pulling himself out to the extent that he did. And I would imagine that, you know, 
I, I'm sure there was not pressure on him to return, but I'm sure he it didn't have to be spoken that, hey, th- he's their top guy. Of course, he feels the need to come back, but I think he was comfortable enough in a spot that he was not going to return until he wanted to and was, was going to be okay with that and was not going to place WWE ahead of his own priorities. Perhaps, you know, and, and if, if that is the case, and again, we're only, I guess, really speculating, um, I think he would have made... He did absolutely make the right call because look at what ended up happening, um, you know, for people that, that actually were continuing to work. Um, nonetheless, you know, I, I imagine like somebody like him, even if he, if he was concerned, you have to look at the outlook of this thing. And I don't really it's it's hard for I think anybody to see like a full return to, you know, live crowds and really the curing of this um disease it's it's just simply not happening so uh we have to learn to live with it and that could mean coming back to work let's go to the kickoff show uh that started six o'clock eastern the the best find by waiting on saturday night realizing that they had changed the uh the advertising so a 60 minute kickoff show that started off with charlie caruso and Renee Young, along with uh, panelists Booker T, JBL, and Pete Rosenberg. And right off the top, Renee Young noted this was going to be her final show. And, you know, WWE online, like, they sent out a tweet thanking her. But really, it was contained to this thing right off the top. It seemed they wanted to mention it, but it was not, it wasn't like they gave her this big uh, farewell at the end of the kickoff show. I guess I don't really know how big of a deal you do make out of something like this. You know, um, it's, it's, it's certain, like, she's certainly somebody, like, I think it, that that's very well liked, but it's hardly, I would say, a cause for, you know, a tribute video or anything, like, larger than what they, what they actually No, did. but, but I think enough that she gets the final word and just says thank you at the end. She did I think say that. She did do that, though. She, she said this right at the beginning. Um, she said I mean, thank you at the end. Did she say thank you at the end? The, okay. They had Charlie basically say, hey, uh, Renee, thank you for spending your final moments with, with us on this thing. And Renee just had, like, you know, a little thing. Okay. Well, it was acknowledged. So that that was uh, that was it for Renee uh, after tonight. And, uh, you know, throughout the kickoff show, we had Sarah Schreiber. They've got this new interview set up in, in the back in this miniature ring where – that's where the talent was interviewed throughout the night. We had Angel Garza, Andrade, and Zelina Vega. And Garza started hitting on Schreiber, presenting her with a rose, asking where Charlie was. Vega once again denied poisoning Montez Ford and says it wouldn't even matter anyway since he's 100%, which is not how attempted murder works, that they escape the worst-case scenario and therefore you're off the hook because your plan didn't play it itself out. So because they are continuing to, you know, go with um, Zelina denying it and really Montez Ford and the Street Profits assuming so hard that Zelina did do it. I mean, now I, I get the feeling like um, the, she didn't do it. And that Who cares at this point. Is, like, <laughs> it doesn't matter at all as they pointed it out here. The guy's fine. They've got their revenge. It's like, okay, oh, sure it was it someone else. It's like, all right. It wasn't fun for Montez Ford. If somebody, if somebody poisoned you and caused you to have incredible, like... Uh, faint spells, fainting spells, probably a great deal of diarrhea even. You'd we don't even know, know that. We didn't even get any details of what kind of poisoning this he, was. He fainted. He fainted. The, the type of poisoning that causes you to faint. That's uh, right. They were ringside. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, um, it's leading me to believe 
that it, it might somehow be tied to somebody else, maybe retribution, and that Zelina, I'm guessing she was just playing around with the dude's drink. I don't I think know. W- I think WWE production was trying to poison me because when Roman Reigns was delivering those chair shots onto Braun and the camera was going up and down at that speed, I thought I was going to faint. So maybe maybe they were after me. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, I, all, I, all I do know, though, is that like this storyline... Um... I'm just not that that into, no. Uh, There was a shot of Ray and Dominic arriving with Ray's wife, Angie Mysterio, also back. The big SummerSlam 2005 reunion. And then Shayna Baszler interrupted the panel. She said she doesn't care what happens with the women's title tonight. All she cares about is the Raw women's title because she gets the next shot. And Charlie mentioned Nia Jax wants the next shot. And Baszler will be willing to put Nia to sleep once her, her, her suspension is up. So what do you think? Do we get Shayna versus Asuka at Payback, or uh, is that do we get Nia at uh, Shayna at Payback? I can see two scenarios. I could see. I'm expecting that it's going to be Asuka and Shayna challenging for the tag titles next week, and maybe Nia gets involved in that somehow. Like you need a team to take on Bailey and Banks, and I don't think it can just be a team out of nowhere. And that's the only team that makes sense, unless you do. The WWE idea of Shayna and Nia have to team together to take on the tag champions. Oh God, that's the only other alternative. Um, yeah, uh, I I guess so. Um, it's and then they win the tag titles and have to feud together. Mm. Yeah, um, partners that don't get along with each other. Could you imagine? You've yeah. got to work together with someone you don't like. That's never been explored before. It sounds kind of shitty, but okay. Well, we, we shall see tomorrow. Apollo Crews and MVP for the United States title. Uh, Bobby Lashley and Shelton Benjamin come out only to walk to the back. And Crews uh, did a promo suggesting that perhaps Benjamin and Lashley can appear on the screens with the fans and he'll wave to them. MVP rolls to the floor early on after an exchange. Then Crews and MVP. MVP fought on the floor with Cruz knocked onto the announcer's desk. They beat the count in. Cruz attacked with strikes, several splashes into the corner. And then Cruz landed the standing moonsault. MVP kicked out of it. And MVP blocked the toss powerbomb, went for the playmaker, which was countered. And on the second try, he hit the world-famous toss powerbomb. And Apollo Cruz won in six minutes and 35 seconds. Um... I just thought it was a nothing match. It was just, it was, it was there. It was, you know, it was. It was a kickoff just, match. It was a kickoff match, yeah. which to me means it's a total throwaway. And that's what this was. Yeah. I mean, I think if this was on a pay-per-view, it would have like really put a halt to like uh, probably the flow of the show because um, it's a feud that really at this point is pretty cold between Apollo and MVP. Everybody knows that they're building up to Apollo versus Lashley. The reason why they're doing another MVP match, I really didn't understand. Until they put this on the kickoff, which I thought was a perfect placement for a, sh- a match like this. It's a match that we've already seen before. They're not really giving anything away. And really, it's just a, w- a way to, I guess, you know, suck a potential viewer into seeing what the, the crowd looks like in this Thunderdome. They might want to order the pay-per-view after the fact. And maybe it allows them to test the cameras, whatever. Um, and puts a bit of spotlight on Apollo to set him up for whatever storyline they have coming up next. So as a kickoff match, I really had no issue with it. 
what did you think tonight about the audio of the crowd? You could certainly see they were they were playing around with it, but I, I still felt it had its issues tonight. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like when you're trying to play the game of trying to replicate synthetically an organic professional wrestling crowd, mm-hmm. it's never going to feel great. Um, I thought today though was improved. I, I felt like they added a few more uh, extra sound clips into the. We got the clapping when Montez yeah. Ford was in a submission. We had that. It was weird. Claps. It was. It seemed like for Drew and Orton, I thought that was like the best mixed match of the night. If that makes any sense. Oh yeah, and like you yeah. know, live mixing. Like whoever's in charge of that audio. Like I, I, I mean, I don't envy that that job at all. You know, trying to not only do you have to completely understand. You know, I'm sure they have the direction as well, but you have to understand the flow of a match. Um, and you have to try to replicate like. At one point, there was an ooh, like after a near fall, that felt like weirdly delayed. Um, but, you know, give them credit for trying. I thought today was improved, um, and this was only the second attempt, so I imagined um, as they go along, it'll get better. But again, it's like it's a real uphill battle that I think that the, um, you know, they've really put themselves in. I was seeing plenty more arms today, though. Well, they were, I, I, I heard from one person who said they were very much being directed to uh, be. Not just arms, but like cheering and being vocal and or not being vocal, but, you know, being like animated and stuff Thumbs um, down. Exactly. Yeah. We got after the first match, like this cutaway to a guy just putting his thumbs down. It was uh, they're trying a lot after two shows. Do you have a strong preference between this and uh, for, for instance, like the the like takeover that we got on Saturday night to contrast it to the the PC or I guess in that case, full sale with the live crowd? You know, um, there were moments on today's show that I felt even visually having, like, for instance, when Roman Reigns returned, having even just a sea of, like, you know, real people, real genuine fans watching in the background, I think made that moment feel better, even though we couldn't hear them. Um, I, I, I I, do feel like it's it's a more grand presentation. And ultimately, like, why I think WWE is doing this is because they feel like they want to put themselves up on the level of, like, an NBA or a NHL uh, as far as in terms of like, you know, the production level of, of what they're doing. And I think what they invested into this thing, um, definitely at least like to a casual viewer looks like it, it does, um, you know, to you have to remember, like to a potential in, uh, TV show investor or like a TV network executive. They're not watching this looking to see if, you know, the the the, uh, the hot tags are properly cheered for. Or like, you know, the two counts are properly cheered for. They're probably flipping through, looking for like two minutes, watching to see, oh, looks like there are a lot of fans. Looks like there's a lot of money put into this. Looks like this is, you know, worth the amount of investment that we're putting into it. And to that end, I think they're successful. Um, so, you know, again, this is only the second time. I I, I look forward to seeing more improvements as they go along. Um, but I, I'm, I get used to it. You know, even like on this show, I've, I did, it didn't feel as jarring as on Friday. The opening video for the main show, I think, confirmed our belief that Vince McMahon had a live voiceover session to start off SmackDown as we got Welcome to the Thunderdome for the opening video package. Yes. Yes. And then Michael Cole welcomed us and noted that the WWE Virtual Universe is going insane. The Virtual Universe way. The virtual universe. Oh, boy. 
Bailey uh, comes out along with Sasha Banks, and she is defending the SmackDown Women's Title against Oscar. Uh, Corey Graves brought up that it was Asuka that ended Bailey's NXT Women's Title reign back in 2016 in Dallas. Uh, they start off the match, and Asuka sent Bailey to the floor with a hip attack. And Asuka is landing leg kicks until Bailey caught her with a Bailey to belly, and Asuka kicked out of that. Asuka was continually going for hip attacks, and she went onto the edge of the apron, uh, was caught, and had her knee driven into the mat, which would be a storyline throughout the night of Asuka's knee injury. Uh, Bailey attacked the knee, went for an Indian deathlock, that was countered, and then Bailey went for a sunset flip, sending Asuka into the corner, but in doing so, both kind of crashed their way into the corner. Bailey went for the top rope elbow, and that was uh, caught with an arm bar. She broke out of it and ended up with Asuka kicking Banks on the floor. And as Asuka was distracted by Sasha, Bailey got a roll up for a two count. And then Asuka goes for yet another hip attack, misses Bailey, but nails Sasha Banks, who is standing on the apron. And with Banks going to the floor, Asuka gets rolled up, and Bailey retains the title in 11 minutes, 36 seconds. Uh, and the idea here that Asuka kind of got outsmarted here with the extra person here in Bailey's corner, and this would play itself out later with the the reverse effect in the second match. Yeah, I thought it was a good match. Uh, I thought you know this wasn't necessarily meant to steal the show, but more so be a first chapter to a show long story. Um, everything was solid. Nothing was really stand out great, but uh, really just I guess a smaller part of a bigger puzzle. Yeah, I wouldn't put this... They had that TV match a few weeks ago that I thought was much better than this. Fine opener, um, but we would see a lot better on this show. Um, Bailey retains, not too big of a surprise. I'm, I mean, in fact, for those listening to our preview, I mean, we, we, we laid out quite a bit on this show that I think ended up going according to where we thought it was. That's a good thing. I mean, th- like, it should make sense. It should be predictable. The match... Uh, after that, oh, first we go to Dominic, who is with Ray, and he asks Angie to step outside. He wants to have a talk with Dad. And he tells Ray to promise that he won't get involved. And Ray reluctantly gives Dominic his word not to get involved in the street fight today. I think it was a good little uh, angle to set up the match and to set up a reason why Ray wouldn't just automatically step in during a no DQ street fight. Um, but really to set up the story of the match. Would have been really great if Dominic said, Ray, Dad, give me your word. Look me in the eye. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> then, uh, Retribution, the Final Cut Pro experts that they are, um, hijacked the WWE production truck, and they took out a jump drive, they inserted it, and then pressed play during this live pay-per-view. They... It was incredible detail here to explain why a three-minute retribution video aired in the middle of this live pay-per-view. But they uh, covered all their bases here. Uh, I am I'm going to give a total mulligan on, on this logic because this was the only representation of retribution on tonight's show. No presence uh, of the silly putties. No lights flickering. Uh, none of this. Yeah, there wasn't. Um... Like, there were several moments during the show where, like, the camera... I don't know about your feet, but my feet would, like, black out. And online, like, people were suggesting that this might be a retribution thing. I don't think it was. It's not really their style. They they tend to be a bit more obvious than something like that. 
that's very anti WWE. I I noticed that once. There was also one fleeting moment where a row of the fans all their screens all went dark and yeah. then instantly came back. I really don't think WWE is not operating at that level, so I am not giving the benefit of the doubt that that was a subtle retribution. You know given how we have seen these guys portrayed so far. Well, you know when Mandy tried to like sit up that table and she couldn't retribution. <laughs> That's now they're out for everything. Every botch, botchamania. I think is is Matthew. I think that's who's in charge of retribution. Clearly, two banks belts. Ugh, uh two belt banks. Retribution. <laughs> retribution. <laughs> Kevin Owens came out. He was going to be on commentary for the Raw tag title match, and he gave a shout out to his wife, who may have been on one of the screens watching. So the Street Profits took on Andrade and Angel Garza. The Street Profits cut a promo saying they are the Jordan and Pippen of the tag division, but they aren't close close to their last dance. And I'm just going to say that, you know, one of the one of the big chapters of the last dance was the game where Jordan allegedly had food poisoning from the altered pizza. So they really could have told this story of Montez Ford had they done the poisoning and he overcomes it. In the big game, which is SummerSlam and retaining the titles. They didn't even get that part right. Mm. Yeah, this could have been his flu game. Yeah, poor Dawkins. Get it. If, if they ever turn on one another, it's going to be this one. I'm no man's Pippin. That would be a storyline, sure. I mean, that's, you know, all, all due respect to Scottie Pippen. But, I mean, there, there's a very clear delineation of number one and number two when you're making that comparison. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ford hits Andrade with a Rana off the corner. Um, Ford's just made a remarkable recovery. Um, he goes for a Topicon hero, which is caught, and he gets dropped on the floor by Andrade and Garza. This allows them to get the heat on Ford for a while until he makes the big dive to tag in Dawkins. Uh, Andrade hit the spinning elbow. Dawkins responds with a spear. And then Garza super kicks Ford, who backs up ever so gently, and knocks Zelina Vega off the apron. It was like he was backing up in slow motion, and Vega was uh, just... It was like the Austin Powers scene, where you zoom out and see the distance, but still got hit. Uh, Andrade was then checking on Vega on the floor, leaving Garza prone as Dawkins hit the cash out, followed by, from the heavens, Montez Ford pins Angel Garza in 749, and then Andrade and Garza are arguing after the match. They're back to being... On different pages, the Street Profits retain, and they overcome all the obstacles, including Poison. It just feels like all these teams are, are like running in circles. You know, um, Andrade and Garza inevitably will dislike each other. Um, we're just kind of returning everything to the status quo, Poison or not. So uh, it could be possible that they'll still follow up on this poisoning thing with a real Poisoner. Um, I can't tell you that I'm all that excited for it. I thought the match itself was very average WWE style. Although that like frog splash spitting halfway uh, midway through mm-hmm. from Ford was amazing. Um, but you know, finish was exactly the type of finish we just saw in the match prior. Um, and really in this one, not even the storyline to, to, to keep, keep you interested. Felt like a complete blow off of the program. Um, I would say it was a fairly average show by this point. Uh, th- there was nothing here that had really grabbed me on the show. It's only three matches. Well, we're but, three matches in, but of eight. A week so. stuff, for sure. Yes, yes. Um, then Kevin Owens, before he left, uh, noted that on the Kevin Owens show tomorrow night, he is inviting Aleister Black to come on. I think Aleister's going to accept. 
Yeah, I don't think he's got <laughs> that much going on. Uh, but you know, like it, it, it tells you. Does that he have an eye left though? That's was it the eye that he was? Yeah, yeah. Murphy did it. Sorry, I'm confusing it because the week before, remember they like chopped his arm off or something, and then they did the eye. It was uh, the guy had no limbs left. Right, except his attack, he didn't. The eyes was the eye was not gouged out. Um, might have just been bruised or something. Right. Uh, but you know, it probably tells you that I would expect both of these two to have a potentially a match at payback. Um. Otherwise, I can't see them doing anything with Aleister Black. The, the The fact that Kevin Owens was on this show in this particular match calling it, I thought was really strange, too. Um, it definitely made me wonder, like, seeing him appear right after, like, a retribution, you know, sto- uh, video package. Uh, whether or not they were trying to throw any hints there, but again, I could be thinking, too. He did drop uh, their name at one point. They kind of made a joke about it, and he's like, oh, sorry, that just slipped out. Yeah. He would be a great leader of, of a faction like that. Yes, potentially, as uh, we get WWE's Dark Order. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have a being the elite for Kevin Owens to just drop F-bombs on everybody. Oh, that'll be um, his Twitter. Kayla Braxton was with Bailey and Sasha Banks. Bailey is not going to have any of Kayla's gotcha journalism and said no one is going to ruin our magical night. And Banks said... That if Bailey can beat Oscar, then I know I can beat Oscar. Um, like nice little subtle line, and then of course it's got to be Bailey's reaction to it, and just making it very clear. Did you hear what she said? Um, so Banks said she's going to tap out Oscar tonight, and Bailey, the cleaner, uh, brought out her broom and said it's going to be a clean sweep tonight. Yeah. Mandy Rose, Sonya Deville, no disqualification, loser leaves, WWE match. Uh, they go to the floor. Deville starts uh, throwing elbows, and then she was tossed in the barricade, the steps. A lot of aggression here from Mandy Rose, who then climbed onto the announcer's desk with a flying clothesline. And then we got an impromptu match. It was Mandy Rose versus the table. I don't know. I have never seen someone have so much trouble. She pulled this table out. And couldn't, like, put it onto its legs. So then she was going to, like, push it legs first underneath the ring before she, like, pulled it back up. It was almost like she literally was restarting from the position of taking the table out from under the ring. Like, let's just cut this in post and we're going to pick up from me pulling this out of the ring. And then she tipped it onto the legs. Like, that was my only explanation was she thought they're going to clean this up in editing, not realizing it was live. I, I, I could imagine, like, somebody panicking in a scenario like that, knowing you're on live TV and having to deal with this incredibly awkward structure of a table. And um, I just, I have a lot of sympathy for her because I think if I were to flip over a table like this, I would have just as much, if not more, difficulty. These things are super, super awkward to have to do unless you had long arms and, you know, a great deal of strength, which she does, but uh, not the easiest thing to maneuver. Well, when you're... Worried about something going wrong. Um, there, there's two options, I guess. It's either push the table back or take a chair and just whip it at a man's head full force. So this was the better option. Yeah. DeVille, uh, back into the ring they go. The table was set up, uh, but had not been used yet. DeVille applied a dragon sleeper and then Rose uh, got out of that. DeVille moved to a triangle and she's taunting Mandy. Uh, continuing, uh, Rose would fight back with strikes and a flying knee. And then Rose places DeVille onto the table on the floor, but DeVille rolls off. 
So Rose got a chair and just slid it across the table, and DeVille had to dodge these chairs. And, man, you mistimed this. Brutal. Oh, yeah. Oof, would have Jesus. Had a Matt Hardy situation. Long, oh, yeah. It would have been bad news if this had been mistimed. But they go back inside the ring. Rose, uh, like, her special maneuver is this flying knee. And she just hit a number of them. Hit her version of the angel's wings and then one final the, knee. The bed of roses, John. The bed of roses. Thank Which, you. Which, like, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that the announcers for, like, you know, such a big match with these two never called. They never called it by that um, at all. I never heard it. Um, so Mandy Rose hits the, the final bed of roses in 10 minutes and pins uh, Sonya Deville. This is not match of the night, but I thought for these two, I'm not going to name a better match that Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose have had. And I thought this was a, a perfectly fine match between these two, given their time allotment and, you know, given the, the stakes that they had and like... N- not to mention, you know, the circumstances of which this match is happening uh, at the end of this week. I think both should be very happy with themselves with what they produced tonight. I thought they both did a very good job. Yes, it was not like a very technically, you know, perfect match by any means. But I thought the strong build and the strong characters really made up for it. I thought they managed to convey like a real grudge between the two of them throughout the entire thing. I personally found it thoroughly engaging. and But that's because I, of the great groundwork they put into this whole thing you know i was engaged in the characters and i was engaged in the in the outcome so um i thought the story was strongly portrayed um the knees looked good to me it was like a match that was probably suffering from like the the lack of peaks and valleys from the crowd noise but that's you know almost a bigger issue yeah and i mean you know the stipulation we got 48 hours notice so you know obviously there's more to this story um, for her sake, I, I really hope that this is one of those loser leaves town matches that ends up with the person coming back. Like, I, I hope that this isn't a sign of Sonya Deville. I hope it's just taking some time off and that she does re- return. But, you know, this mm-hmm. she has been through an extremely traumatic seven days that you're not going to get over in a week. But I, I also don't want to, uh, you know, assume anything either. Her and Mandy, you know, yeah, I, I mean. Both of them, yeah. I think for Sonya, um, yeah, once all that is in order, like, I don't think this hurts her, I mean, whatsoever. If anything, I think, you know, the past month, seeing her, like, cut that promo on Friday she uh, that she did after after everything went on, like, really shows her toughness. And I think probably shows this company and really a lot of the audience, like, that this is somebody to really watch out for and to cheer for uh, potentially in the future as a main act. Otis ran out with the briefcase. Did his caterpillar, and then Mandy Rose tried to do her own caterpillar. Uh, it looked like she was pretty tired after this match, and this was not a good audible. Retribution, John. <laughs> what was in the briefcase of Otis's? Mm. Wait a minute. Um, then I think from this point, uh, this pay-per-view really took off, uh, beginning with Seth Rollins and Dominic Mysterio in the street fight. And, man, one of the unsung heroes of this show uh, – was uh, what's his name? Uh, Makazi is that the guy's name? The oh yeah 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 he made so, that yeah he put wow. out the photo of Seth Rollins' gear, uh, which was done as I guess a tribute uh, to Rey Mysterio's famous all purple purple and black gear from Halloween Havoc '97. Mm. Um, 
it looked super cool. And I, I thought that they could have played this up a bit more that this was Ray, uh, Seth trying to fuck with Ray. And I, I don't even know if they called attention they, to They to did the during the entrance. Okay, well, that's yeah. good then. It was very, very cool looking gear. Very cool. Uh, but, you know, I thought you were going to be complimenting whoever helped design Dominic's gear because he's got his own Titantron now. He's got his own new costume. And I thought he looked great. He looked very legit in that. Outfit. You know what? You know what he he needed, though, t- to edit on that gear? He had to get rid of that, that hood. That was giving him problems throughout. He, there were multiple times he had to, like, move that, that right. hood. I, I, I think, think he could have. I think the hood was there just to kind of, like, you know, give some reference to him being his father's son. You know, he doesn't wear a mask, but, like, What's sort of like the next best thing? Okay, we'll put your like the 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 Falcons on on the hood. I I get the you know the significance of it. I just think aesthetically, like just for what you're doing, like you could see like there were multiple times he's like adjusting this hood and it was just getting in the way. But um, yeah, good good uh, in ring presentations from these two at the beginning. Angie gives Dominic a blessing before he walks out, uh, and Rollins starts the match and he's just playing with Dominic and. Dominic, they were very smart with what they did with, with, with Dominic, like giving him his his key moments here to just fire up on Seth. And I mean, this was like a significant, like 22 plus minute match. And it begins like Dominic's first offense is a deep arm drag and does the big kip up to try and surprise Rollins. And early on, the kendo stick is introduced and Dominic starts to get beaten down and Ray is leaning in. Do you need me? And Dominic keeps waving off his father. Uh, Dominic then gets control of the kendo stick. And he starts going after Rollins with it until he's crotched on the top turnbuckle. And Rollins hits a superplex into the Falcon Arrow. And they show Angie looking very concerned backstage. And then Rollins takes the kendo stick and starts attacking Dominic. Murphy places a table inside the ring. And Rollins is playing the greatest heel. He's yelling at Ray and... Puts him onto the turnbuckle and Dominic crotches him and hits a reverse Russian leg sweep off the turnbuckle, putting both of them through the table. Then Dominic climbs up and does the frog splash as the Eddie tribute getting a two count. What what a weird, like, nostalgic moment that is when you put that into context. Yeah, like, that's... F- 15 like, years ago, this kid... It would be, it would be like in 15 years, uh, Dominic is hitting the... Superplex into the Falcon Arrow as a tribute to the man that gouged my father's eye out. Like, Eddie <laughs> or, is reprehensible in that storyline, but I think people uh, separate the, uh, the the story. But it, it makes no sense to be doing Eddie tributes within the, the, the story that was told on WWE. Well, you know, 15 years is a long time. A, a lot is forgiven um, in the span of that time. But, you know, just the idea that this man that was po- held up captive um as the prize of this match is now in the ring doing this move like in an actual match that's crazy way what's the most captivating city in the world stockholm no in the wwe universe yeah they love it a lot of a lot of people live in stockholm rollins catches him with a super kick big power bomb and he tears off the top of dominic's gear and he starts beating him with the kendo stick to the chest and the back while Murphy passes handcuffs to him. And Rollins is just goading Ray. You can stop it anytime you want. And then Angie comes out. Ray is protesting. No, this is Dominic's fight. And Murphy lands a big knee. And 
They go to gouge out Dominic's eye on the steps, and this is the breaking point. Ray attacks Murphy, and then they attack Ray two on one, and it's Ray who gets his hand handcuffed to the middle rope. But then Rollins turns his attention to Angie, and Dominic is the one to beat Rollins down and stop him from going after his mother. Dominic rolls Rollins into the ring, hits a 619, climbs to the top, but Rollins gets his knees up for the second Eddie Guerrero tribute. And then Rollins is taunting Ray, reach, Ray, reach, and then runs the ropes, stomps Dominic's head, and pins him in 22 minutes and 35 seconds. Uh, I thought Seth Rollins was fantastic in this match. I thought Dominic, like for a 22 and a half minute match, that's an incredibly big ask of someone this early into in their career. I thought he did very well. Ray was incredible Amazing. on the floor. Amazing. Even even Angie in the limited spot that she had. Like everyone was great in this, but I came away like the most impressed with Rollins because I think he helped make Dominic look tremendous in this. This, this was just a, a tremendous performance by everybody. Oh, yeah. Like, a match like this doesn't happen without somebody as talented as Seth Rollins. You know, that Pat McAfee match doesn't happen without somebody as gifted as Adam Cole. Um, This was far, far, far better than I had any hope for it to be. I think so often we, like, criticize WWE for their overly dramatic form of professional wrestling storytelling. But when it works, it's really good. And I thought this was one of those examples. This match reminded me a whole lot of Bob Backlund versus Bret Hart with Helen Hart Owen, um, you know, Bulldog holding those towels, getting ready to throw the towels in, and uh, Bulldog being knocked out, Bob Backlund putting Bret Hart in the cross-faced chicken wing, Bret Hart suffering for like 10 minutes in that cross-faced chicken wing, and Owen pleading to Helen Hart to throw the towel in. Um, And that's the role Rey Mysterio had to play, watching his son, like, essentially, like, get beaten, beaten, like... Uh, up to 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 just you know levels that you probably would have really difficult um times watching as as a parent and then to bring the mother in as well and to build the whole comeback from dominic mysterio to save his lone mother from these two men looking to attack him it made for one moment dominic mysterio like the biggest baby face in this entire show uh, I was gripped throughout this entire match. I thought everybody participating was fantastic. And, you know, if I had to compare the two, I actually enjoyed this more than the Pat McAfee match. I thought the star- story was stronger, and I thought the scenario was more believable. You know, you I, ag- a- I agreed, yeah. You have a young kid who is clearly portrayed to be outclassed by his, you know, uh, his opponent here in Seth Rollins. Uh, but despite all that, he did his best to survive and put up a good fight. And, you know, the Pat McAfee thing was incredibly entertaining, was, you know, uh, definitely one of the standouts of the weekend. But it's tougher for me to buy, you know, as talented as he is, a football player coming in and going 50-50 with a former NXT champion. Um, you know, the the bigger question is, like, what do you do with Dominic beyond this introductory program? Like, if it was... Like, this is a guy that needs to be developing and doing matches. Now... This is not an environment where you can be going out and doing a whole lot. And, I mean, may as well be be doing this angle. But, you know, five, six months from now, like, what are you doing with Dominic? Do you put him back into into NXT? Like, where where do you put Dominic? 
It's a good question because I think coming out of this program, he certainly like you know he's he's built a name for himself. Um, but is this necessarily the best environment to to you know continue him? And really, unless he's being- this is not a place to be developing on on the main roster. And I, I would hate for like you can just you can see like where he is in a match like this. Like he's got a lot of potential, but you, this is a guy that needs to be going out and should be doing years of matches before he. I would want him just going out everywhere and working and cutting promos too. cutting promos too. But, you know, ideally outside of the WWE system, and that's probably not uh, an option. So it's, it's a very tricky handling uh, because just being on raw, I, I don't think that would serve him in the long term. You don't, you know, he's had a few years now of training. It's not like he's starting this cold, but you know, you don't want to be in a situation like, a David Flair where you're kind of learning on national TV and that's, that's not a place to be learning. And he was, he was in the ring tonight with a phenomenal performer. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like much of I don't think it's really like that much of a secret that, you know, much of Dominic's involvement in this storyline is just either a demand or, 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 you know, a way to kind of like, you know, give favor to Rey Mysterio to, you know, um, have him continue working for the company. Um, and it's really worked out well for everybody because creatively it's been fantastic. Dominic's been really good in the role, but Mm -hmm. beyond this particular story, um, where do they go? I would say, put him into NXT and have him, you know, take the proper path. You might, you know, he, he, you could very well fast track him, but I think just giving him that time out of the spotlight to further develop will be really good for him in the long run. Um, well, that's the other question. Do you think the storyline is even done, or do we get another match? Oh, I think it has to continue at least uh, a little bit. Whether like you have to do Ray and Dominic teaming at some point. I don't know if next Sunday is too soon. It probably is, but no, I, I think that this continues in some form or fashion because you have Ray that is going to seek revenge ultimately. Try to get a new eyeball. Maybe he can take sets. Hey, where, what about um, Ray's daughter, Aaliyah? She might be the most talented one. Remember that CM Punk angle? That's right, yeah. Um, as, far, as far as you know, is she training? I don't think she's training, no. But yeah. that's a very talented family. Sure is. The Mysterios. Mm-hmm. Uh, afterwards, Ray gave Dominic a hug. This was just It was just a really tremendous presentation, the whole thing. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. this. Sasha Banks and Asuka for the Raw Women's title. So they did, um, they split up the matches. It was it was never said that it was going to be back-to-back. I guess I just assumed that one would bleed into the other uh, instead of uh, having, like the idea was one would weaken the other and then they'd have to go into this next match and they'd have this advantage. But they split up the matches. So Sasha makes her entrance and she gets into the ring and right as she is facing the hard camera, one of the LED screens turns to a sign that reads Fire Velveteen Dream that was on there for a couple of seconds, but was clearly visible. Long enough for everybody to screen cap it, and uh, it's there. Yeah, I mean, I you know, it's it's either going to be this weekend, but like I have this feeling that anytime you see Velveteen Dream, unless there are more clear answers as to WWE's findings, um, I see this being a continuing trend. So it's something they'll have to answer um, for ultimately. And I do wonder if, you know, even just seeing the presence of this going on, they would, you know, have to consider how hard they're able to push Velveteen Dream. 
Yeah. And I think like not to go off on a tangent, but I think that this is going to be something that the fan base, at least right now, like you can't ever predict if this is going to continue, but they are demanding like, hey, there needs to be more transparency here because we are uncomfortable of where this is now. You say you take these allegations seriously. Well, part of that, you, you cannot have like why were certain accusers not spoken to? That deserves an answer. Who did this investigation? What was found that that gives you confidence to utilize this person? What is the answer there? Should WWE be the ones that are investigating one of their own people? Should this be a third party? And for the sake of Patrick Clark, if you believe that this man uh, is being falsely accused, then you owe it to him to disclose this because it's his reputation as well. But where we are now, there are not any of those answers. It is not... I don't feel the public has been given any kind of evidence to uh, to dismiss the allegations, nor has you know any anything concrete been presented. And instead, it's just well, we are going to present this performer, we're going to push this performer, and it seems the strategy is keep moving forward, and people are just going to get tired of the story and move on. And sadly, that does happen. But and, and, and occasionally, I think that works. Um, like it's worked in their favor for several people, like, but I think this one's different because, um, the evidence that's been put out there publicly against Velveteen Dream has been so visual and I would say, uh, so much more severe and so much more damning than, you know, somebody simply saying something it's, um, and no explanation either. Like there hasn't been a, a, an argument at like, I was hacked. This is not, you know, people have heard the what, what is out there and there hasn't been a a story or at least an explanation on WWE side um, that negates that evidence that people have been, ha- have seen with their, you know, listened to. Just, you know, hearing like, I mean, Hunter continued to field these questions on both of those conference calls this past week. Um, he really just seems like somebody who doesn't want to talk about it. And, you know, basically says, I said it, I talked about it once on that CBS interview, and uh, there's no need to talk about it anymore. So um, it's, I feel like that type of, you know, feeling that's really prompting <sighs> guerrilla tactics, like you saw today from um, people on the Thunderdome. And that poses a different um, problem with this Thunderdome thing, doesn't it? Like how, how the fact that you're going to have to eventually, um, you know, find ways to monitor like these hundreds of people sitting in on their zoom calls uh to prevent them from i don't know thinking about hijacking the feed oh yeah you're you're gonna get plenty of people after you know seeing that a sign can get on like that of people trying to do it now so that will be wwe's um mission to to combat that yeah so um banks goes after oscar's left knee so we're playing off of that injury from the previous match they're on the edge of the apron and Banks flips over for a sunset bomb to the floor. That was the most frightening thing on this show. The thud of which Asuka hit the floor was brutal. Oh, man. O- Asuka oh. took, like, some damage in this one. It was this, and then it was that, like, big the kick. kick in the corner. Oh, yeah. goodness. They replayed that, and oh. she looked like she just got waffled with a boot to the head. Like, Asuka, oh, man, that sunset bomb was just awful. Yeah, um... I mean, wrestling's not easy. Uh, Retribution. 
Retribution, yeah. Asuka dropped Banks off of her shoulders for a face buster right into the ankle lock. Banks got out of that. Uh, Asuka hit a DDT off the middle turnbuckle, and Banks just rolls to the floor. And Asuka, Asuka goes to the floor, and the referee is telling Asuka, come on, Asuka. It's like, what, what's she supposed to do? Stand in the ring and let the champion get counted out? What's the referee doing here? Yeah. Just count. That's your job. Count. You're not coaching me. Asuka yanks her out of the corner. This this was a cool spot. This was like the usual where Banks is seated in the corner. Asuka yanks her by the legs, and in midair, Banks turns it into a code breaker for a near fall. Uh, the double knees, as it is identified. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was unique. Banks missed a frog splash, so we got uh, another Eddie tribute the, here. The fourth frog splash of the night. Yeah, there was uh, yeah a lot of... Uh, a lot of frog Eddie, representation. Eddie Guerrero was a really popular wrestler. Uh, he was, But yeah. he did more than one move, didn't he? Come on. How about the lasso from El Paso? How about a slingshot um, somersault senton? Something yeah, like how about the, uh, where he would take like that monkey flip and land on the ropes? Yeah, sure. Of- yeah. So uh, Banks tries to break free of the Asuka lock when it's applied, and she rolls on top of Asuka for a two-count. Then it's reversed, and she applies the bank statement, kicks off the rope into the center, but in kicking off, Asuka is able to counter to the Asuka lock. I really enjoyed these counters that they seem to mm-hmm. escalate which e- with each uh, ensuing match. And they redid the finish from the last match with a notable change where Bailey was on the was on the rope or on the uh, apron and Oscar goes for another hip attack. Bailey gets out of the way. So doesn't get hit to the floor. Banks goes for the roll up, but this time Oscar's ready and has scouted their technique to do the two on one distraction and reverses the roll up into the Oscar lock. And Banks has to submit at 11 minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, I thought this was certainly the superior of the two title matches uh, involving Oscar tonight and Oscar wins and, they did it as we kind of predicted that they would, that it was kind of Bailey not getting out of the way, protecting herself. And in the first match, it was Banks who I guess were kind of led to believe sacrificed herself in order to screw up Asuka, who then, you know, based on the contact, gets rolled up. And in this one, Bailey gets protects herself and Asuka had the move scouted. That's the idea, and that's what the announcers tried to explain afterwards. The fact that Bailey was not willing to make the sacrifice play while Sasha was. And, um, first of all, I thought the match was really good. I thought this was a superior Asuka match of the evening, uh, as I think it was designed to. But, you know, Asuka and and Sasha just have fantastic chemistry, especially those great submission counters. Um, But poor Asuka really took some heavy spells in this one. So she really deserves a a break, I would think, after this. Uh, But, you know... A a break until uh, probably tomorrow night and then a title match next Sunday. That's true against Shayna. Jeez. Um, I thought the finish was a little convoluted to grasp. Like, the idea that Bailey was supposed to get hurt so that Sasha could do the roll-up victory, I think, like... If if you and I sound? had to pull this off, I'm telling you, Way, I'd be... As soon as you suggest, okay, she's going to nail you on the apron and you're going to fly to the floor, I'd be like, Way, there's two of us and one of them, okay? We can come up with a better idea. I'm holding two titles here, okay? We can come up with a better idea. So to me, how it came across was less so that Bailey was unwilling to make the sacrifice play and get hurt, and more so 
Asuka just being smart and understanding that, hey, I'm not going to fall for the same trick twice. So if anything, like I'd had zero sympathy for Sasha coming out of this. Like I think they were designing this spot to to make me feel. Instead, I just thought uh, Sasha. Sorry, Sasha. I uh, instead I just thought Sasha was stupid going for the second plan twice in the same night. Well, I would imagine how this follows up is that you have some dissension tomorrow, but ultimately they've got to work together on Sunday, and they're going to lose the tag titles next Sunday. And suddenly, the women who had two belts, all of a sudden, there's one belt between them, mm. and it's Bailey. And Banks has nothing to show for all of this. And it's probably another thing where Bailey ends up screwing up in next Sunday's match. So, I mean, you do have to choose the team properly, especially if you're going to do a title change. And I, I could certainly see this Baszler Nia Jax thing as I think about it now. Jeez, uh, I, I would hate that. I mean, I don't like it either, but. Oscar and ba- like Oscar and Baszler at least makes sense because you did do the match this past week and they beat them. God, but then they're gonna have a match too, and and like inevitably, you know, Oscar's gonna have to lose the belt, and I don't think she's in any position to lose even a tag team championship. Um, and, and just beyond that, there are a lot of other women in this division, and you know, yeah, it might one week might be too little to really build somebody up, but God, like, could you not have had the foresight to know that you had to get here so that you could at least push? You know, either an Iconics or a Riot Squad up a, up to a certain level, or uh, you know, on on the SmackDown side of things, like make a team out of like Naomi and what Carmella, what's what's she been doing lately? Um, just like you know, use this time to really build up another team so that you know, in a situation like this, you have somebody ready ready to go to. To me, it's more of an indictment of how poorly they've done with the women's tag team division in general. Yeah, I just you also are looking at a team that you know, I'm not. I don't know if this is going to be the main event next Sunday, but it's being pushed. It's being pushed as the only thing on the show. So you have to be able to like all due respect to the Iconics, but you're not getting 15 minutes with the Iconics on a big pay-per-view. You don't have to go 15 minutes. Again, there are going to be other matches on this show. This, this feels like this has to be a pretty significant match on the show, given it's the only thing being pushed. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, then we had Drew McIntyre against Randy Orton for the WWE title. Um, and man, I'll tell you that when we got this match placement, I was watching this entire match. And as I was getting into it, bracing for whatever they had planned, like, man, it's got to be really bad if this is going on second from the top. And by the end of it, I mean, that was the swerve. We, we didn't get really any shenanigans uh, in this thing. Uh, Shawn Michaels delivered a tape promo. Uh, it looked like he was auditioning on the set of Lonesome Dove, where he delivered this. <laughs> was, and, yeah, was this show, like Sean's house? Dude, I don't know. Unless he lives in, I don't know. Uh, God, he knows lives where. like in a haunted house or something. This place looked creepy. Felt like <laughs> this was old... the weirdest backdrop from the heartbreak kid in his <laughs> NXT ball cap. I mean, this felt like, hey, Sean, the show's going live in like ten minutes. Can you just shoot anything? Like, what was that? What did he have? Like a typewriter? Like an old typewriter? Dude, there was a globe and a type, like an old-fashioned typewriter. And they just, looked like they were covered in dust. You know the meme of Sean typing? <laughs> That's where he must have got it from. That was a more up-to-date piece of technology than was in this shot. Even oh, seemed kind of blurry. Like, this it, was probably it, done on his phone. Bad lighting. I mean, oh, it's, oh, sorry. I think it's a, is this like a cash register or like a? 
Oh, maybe it was a cash register. Stenographer's um, machine? Like, I don't know what even this machine is. What an interesting man. Very interesting man. Orton immediately bails to the floor. So the idea is he's trying to get into Drew's head. Uh, Drew uh, gets him in the ring. He runs the ropes, his knee buckles, and Orton goes for the RKO. Drew immediately rolls to the floor, and he's getting frustrated and has to collect himself. Samoa Joe says that Orton's plan is working, and he's totally playing with Drew. On the floor they go. Orton suplexes Drew off the announcer's desk. And then back inside, McIntyre attacks Orton's knee out of the corner, uses a figure four, and that gets broken up when Orton grabs the referee, throws him, and then eye gouges Drew McIntyre. And referee, uh, dude, it's playoff season in the NBA, and I guess that's where we're going with in WWE. I think you could excuse that. I mean, that was more so like, you know, somebody in the state of panic looking to grab whatever and then happening to grab the referee, dragging him down. Dana White has said that if you put your hands on any official, you are fired. I don't care if you're panicking. No, this isn't the UFC. It clearly isn't, no. Drew fires back, hits a flying clothesline, and then McIntyre goes for the superplex that they explained. That's Cowboy Bob's move that was passed down to Randy. And Drew gets knocked down into the Tree of Woe, pops up and suplexes Orton off, hit him with the Future Shock, Orton kicks out. The draping DDT is blocked, McIntyre with a Glasgow kiss, and then clotheslines both men over the top to the floor. Orton recovers, hits the draping DDT, and he's setting up for the RKO, but instead decides, F it, we're going for the punt. He backs up into the corner, and McIntyre stops the punt with a powerbomb, and then Drew sets up for the Claymore. Orton ducks the Claymore, goes for the RKO, which is countered with a backslide. Drew McIntyre, 1-2-3, pins Randy Orton at 20 minutes and 35 seconds, and they played it up so big. Orton never saw it coming. Yeah. There you go. I really enjoyed this match. I thought these two were great. It was certainly like, you know, a more slower, methodical pace. Um, but I thought it was a very good one. And ultimately, I felt like it, it it came across as a really good, realistic battle. Like, no really big high spots, but everything felt it had purpose. And it was all technically perfect. So... Um, not necessarily the, the type of match where I would say like, oh my God, what a spectacular, like, you know, display of athleticism. Um, but I thought it was like just really solid professional wrestling. No big angle. I mean, at most you have the fact that neither man was able to land their finish on the other. Um, I mean, I'm going to guess that they're going to come back with this next weekend. With maybe hmm. something something attached to it, but this certainly was not the ending I was expecting, and not the kind of ending that screams, you know, come back seven days with a pay per view for. It's true, yeah, and I think much of that it perhaps is due to them wanting to just maintain like Drew McIntyre as a really strong guy. Um, but I feel like, yeah, if they wanted to, they can build to a rematch relatively easily. You know, and I would, and I would think Orton would probably win the rematch. That would make sense. I, I don't mean, see, I don't see them beating Orton again that that quick, yep. like twice in twice in a week. Um, yeah, so this is somewhat surprising. I thought this was going to be some big angle to get their way out of it, especially with the the match placement. This, um, you know, given what they had, it's understandable why they finished the way they did with the post match. Um, yeah, but yeah, this was definitely not the screwy finish we anticipated. So I, I really enjoyed the match. I thought these two clicked very, very well together. I thought so too. 
And, and again, like great build up until this point. Um, strong enough story, I think, for a rematch if they wanted to. And yeah, if you do the title change on the Sunday, um, I think it makes the Sunday show feel that much bigger. Promo announcing Keith Lee will be on. Sorry, Raw. I just got to like address like the chat room. Um, certain people are asking like, why does such and such deserve a rematch? Why does you know Seth? Why does Ray deserve a rematch for Seth? Why does Orton deserve a rematch? Why does anybody deserve a rematch, guys? Like, who cares? Like, there's no ranking system. Somebody will just come out and say, "Fuck you," and then they're gonna get a rematch. That's all the reason that you need. In, in you, the WWE. you have to ask why you would continue the story with Ray after what was done to him. You don't think he's seeking revenge? Like, do you have to spell that out? Well, that's that hard to grasp. I, I, I think the like we're, we're more so like people are. I think more so making the mistake that like within the WWE, there's some sort of like ranking system or like, hey, like if I beat such and such, there needs to be a reason, and that somebody has to earn a rematch. Okay, chat they room, have please chat room, tell me who is prime, who is set up to face Drew McIntyre next? Who have they been working on to be that next contender after Randy Orton? Anybody? Who's ready? Let's move on. Um, of all people, it's not even so much that. It's just more so like um, I just don't even think they in storyline they really care to like come up with a valid reason. Like they'll just have Orton come out, RKO him, lay him out, maybe attack another legend that Drew McIntyre suddenly is best friends with, <laughs> and then he'll want another match. Well, I mean, the biggest heel they have coming out tonight was Seth Rollins, but I don't know if you go back to him and Drew. Uh, so quick like, for a one I, week thing. No, like well, I, I, listen, I, I I have no idea why they're doing this. Like, what is so like what cannot wait until Clash of Champions, which is uh, a month away, four weeks. Like, why are we having this in a week? I have no idea. After tonight, there it's must be, be a scheduling thing. They scheduled it. Like well, they put it's it into be their a scheduling schedule. that they put in before knowing what stories and what matches they're going to build up to. To me, if you're deciding to do a pay-per-view one week after, there's got to be a reason. Well, I don't know. I don't know when they would have. Like, so you're, you're telling me, like, how late would it have been that they decided to put this together, this payback show? I mean, I first heard about it, um, I think, like, mid-July or so. And do you truly believe that by mid-July they knew all the stories that they were going to have at the end of SummerSlam? But they had their pay-per-view slotted. They specifically yeah. added th- this is not like they've just moved up Clash of Champions to be a week after. They specifically added this show yeah. for this week, one week after SummerSlam. I absolutely can't tell you why they they did it. it. Like it's it's definitely baffling, but I'm going to suggest that I don't think they knew what stories they were going to redo like for that show. I don't even know what stories they if if how much they really knew of, of like what they were going to do for SummerSlam. Yeah, I hey, guess chat room's just- going crazy. We encourage everybody to call in as soon as we're done the review. We want to talk to you guys because it's not really, um, you know, easy back and forth like this. Uh, they they aired the promo Keith Lee going to Raw tomorrow night. Yeah, Keith Lee showing up on Raw. So that was his, this is his call up. It looks like. No, 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 no. It's a third brand way. Oh, what? never mind. Sorry. So the third brand. It's uh. I mean, it's it's very clear, like where NXT, the the many cycles it has gone in. I mean, it is it is still the show that is funneling talent to Raw and SmackDown once they're done with them. And I mean, in 
there's good and bad to that. I think WWE, we've talked about it many times, that you get this talent on top and they're there forever. And you don't get that injection of talent because you have these top spots that are all filled. And with NXT, you're not going to have people there for 10 years. It's eventually people are going to move on. There's very few uh, Johnny Garganos that have been there for this length of time. So a guy loses the title and he moves on. But when you're doing it, trying to be competitive on television and you're building up these stars and then you're sending them off. I mean, it is telling your audience that where this show is. And if you're really into a Keith Lee, well, he's only going to be here for a short amount of time. And once he gets to a level, then he graduates, and that's how everyone will move on. Well, what's the bigger priority? Making sure NXT you know, is able to be competitive with AEW or making sure Raw has the best talent possible? Why are they running on Wednesday nights? To stop AEW. So I would say for a long time, that, that was the priority. Um, I mean, they, they put well, Charlotte down What's the bigger down priority, there. stopping AEW or making sure Raw stays Well, I, I think I, I think the priorities have, have shifted in the last couple of weeks slash months where... I think ultimately Raw and SmackDown are clearly the larger priorities. But if we go back to last fall, uh, I, I don't think that it was such a distinction that NXT was a high priority. And I don't think you would have been taking your NXT champion and moving them up to Raw uh, so quickly. Like they had their big stars and those stars were going to be built around. I suppose and I'm it, not really convinced that, you know, Keith Lee even staying or leaving is going to make that drastic of a difference. And if anything, I think NXT has proven that they're able to just replace anybody if they really wanted to without probably too much difficulty. I mean, I think the fact that it constantly has sort of a rotating roster of like upper end guys is part of, you know, it's a blessing and a curse, but it's a blessing because you constantly have fresh faces up top. And it's always just like got a great feeling of like forward momentum when you're watching NXT, knowing that people are constantly being elevated up the card. Um, as a fan, I, I, I really enjoy that about NXT. Remember when Paul Levesque uh, was asked about the, you know, this real quick turnaround to have a double champion and he explained, you know, it's just, it's midway between here, it, between both takeovers and, uh, this is not retaliatory, uh, and what a what a long term idea they had for that double champion idea. This must have been pretty sudden, then, don't you think? Like Keith Lee getting called up. I don't know. I mean, yeah, like if you're going to put a double double belt on the guy, I I wonder, I wonder if like you know even back then they knew that he was going to get called up after SummerSlam because. Well, well, look at look at where it, I'm. I'm sure it was looking at numbers and it probably expedited the process because. Look to how hot they had Keith Lee during that whole Survivor Series buildup and then the spot with Brock. Like, Mm -hmm. if there was a time to call him up, it was then. And they didn't because NXT, I think, realized this is one of our big stars. And, you know, Hunter had always said, like, they are – it's going to be, like, long-term plans and it's not going to be a case of guys just getting plucked from NXT. And I think now you're starting to see that that waiver of it. Which makes this year's Survivor Series pretty interesting to see how strong they put – NXT over. Uh, we go into the main event. Braun Strowman, The Fiend, in a Falls Count Anywhere match for the Universal title. No red light. No red light. Yeah, I, I guess the red light's kind of been gone, you know, even like the last time we had a proper Fiend match. Um, but glad to see it didn't return in this Thunderdome. Strowman, uh, <laughs> Strowman charged at him and The Fiend was just laughing and then hit Stroma with a urinagi, and then took his neck and, like, ripped it apart 
and Braun had to put his neck back into place on the floor. <laughs> That's fought. Uh, um, this is like the scene in like those action movies oh, where yeah. Chuck Norris killed a dude with this. Yeah, it's like um, if it worked, if it was effective, there's no logical way why somebody would be able to continue living. Yeah, the chiropractor Bray Wyatt. <laughs> Uh, but it looked, got his... I mean, it works. I mean, I think, again, like, I, to, when I watch The Fiend, I think about, like, if I was eight years old, okay? How it's s- cartoon violence. Yeah, like, how freaked out I would be. And I would totally, as an eight-year-old, believe in that move. He used his trusty toolbox as a weapon, and then Strowman went for a choke slam on the floor. And the idea was to choke slam him through the table. That was the idea. Bray landed on the edge of this table, and it didn't break. Holy retribution. <laughs> this yes. looked like it sucked. It, this was like, yeah. not to the extent of when Vince fell off that cage, but this looked so goddamn painful. There, Asuka's sunset bomb was the worst thing that I would not want to take. This was a close second. This sucked. You know, I was watching it and I was thinking, oh, okay, was that intentional? Like, did he mean to hit him on the edge of the table? And There's no way. I have no idea why somebody would opt to do that instead no of, way. you know, the big satisfying crunch of actually putting somebody through a table you don't get it and it hurts way more so i don't know why anybody would ever do a spot like that Strowman hit the power slam in the ring fiend kicks out they fight up the entrance they go to the back there's a sister abigail near gorilla and braun kicks out then they make it back to the ring Strowman's cut his head open at one point and he hits another power slam which the fiend kicks out of so Strowman goes to the toolbox and he grabs a box cutter knife like, where the hell are they going with this? And Braun, you think this guy's going to, like, cut his throat or something. He slices the ring canvas to expose the wood. But then the fiend stands up, hits this guy with a urinagi, and hits a sister Abigail onto the exposed wood twice, pinning Strowman. (laughs) I thought Braun looked like the world's largest idiot here and lost in 12 minutes the Fiend wins the Universal title. It was like this grand plan, and The Fiend just stood up and just killed him. It's like, thanks, this is a great idea. The finish was definitely, like, anticlimactic um, and, and really sudden without, like, a feeling of, I don't know, logic attached to just how, I don't know, Braun seemingly, you know, in full control would just lose it for, what, because he turned his back? with the bo- He was too concerned with the box cutter, maybe? I'm not sure. Um... So I didn't really love the finish, but overall, like, I thought this was a really entertaining and effective feed match. It was a very different style from your the other feed matches where, you know, instead of having, like, a straight-up wrestling match with the Fiend in full control, like, they took instead uh, a page out of, like, the Brock Lesnar-Goldberg playbook where it was just nonstop big spots. You know, lots of big moves and lots of weapons and lots of destruction throughout the arena. Just constant, like, explosive, high-impact action and... I found it really effective for the fiend. It was it was a fine brawl. Um, I think it'll be more remembered for the post match than the actual match, but it was fine for the twelve minutes. Not my favorite match on the show, but you're right. Like for a fiend match, I think the bar is very low, and this was this was more than acceptable. And the false count anywhere step was a, a smart stipulation to add. I will say this felt too divorced from what we have seen on TV. No Alexa that played nothing right. into this. And Braun was like, a, uh, like he was like the Braun Strowman that has snapped, but 
clearly positioned as the babyface in this match, unlike kind of the demeanor we had seen on TV. And I just felt it was. Did you feel like he was a babyface? Because like going into this match, I had no idea who was babyface and heel. I thought it was two heels in this match. I didn't get any babyface tendencies from the Fiend. I guess with Braun, you certainly got the frustration. And I guess coming out of this, he's kind of in either a tweener role or we'll assume the heel role with with Roman because that's the match I expect a payback is Roman versus Braun. I don't see them fast-tracking to Roman and, and the Fiend yet. I agree. I agree. I think, you know, the Fiend is one you spend a bit more time to build to. Um, probably a good reason why he attacks Roman first before attacking the Fiend here. And, you know, it's just it's a match built around Roman Reigns making a big return. The Fiend held up the title. Roman returns. He spears the Fiend. He's attacking him with strikes. Then Reigns goes to the floor. He spears Strowman, yells that I made you. And then he gets a chair and he hits Strowman over and over. The camera is just having a hallucination, cutting uh, just up and down on all of this. Then he comes back, spears the Fiend, and told him the title was always his. You can't handle the responsibility. You can't do morning PR. You can't do make a wish. The Fiend, I don't know. That's that's questionable, what they're f- fighting over. And then in the ultimate Michael Cole sign-off, as Roman is holding up the title, he proclaims, SummerSlam, we never saw this coming. Yes, ka I feel Michael Cole just, he got this line out, and the giddiness caused the man to explode into particles, and we'll never see him again. <laughs> This was his highest sign-off ever. And that ends SummerSlam. I would say like a pretty good show. Um, I, I, I liked SummerSlam. The length certainly didn't hurt it. And I thought you got several. Uh, I, I thought the strongest matches were Rollins and Dominic. Yep. And I really enjoyed McIntyre and Orton. Those would be my, my two uh, big matches. And Sasha and Asuka was was very good as well. Uh, for a Fiend match, you're right. It was like they found you know a good formula for it. Strowman looked pretty foolish at the finish. Strowman doesn't come out of this looking all that hot. Somebody has to, you know, end up looking a bit more like the fool, you know, at Roman Reigns' expense. And, I mean, that's going to be Braun Strowman. To me, unfortunately, Strowman really was going to be just a placeholder anyway for Roman initially. And this was just the big dog. He's the fall guy. He's the fall guy for the Fiend and for Roman to kind of just get out of the way. Yeah, I mean, shit. Like, now in hindsight, thinking we had three cycles a Braun Strowman versus Bray Wyatt. I don't know how we got through all that, uh, but hope mercifully it's over. Uh, so again, I'm I'm really happy to see Roman Reigns back. And to me, this was more like, hey, thanks for taking my place. I'm back. You know, uh, I really enjoyed the show. Um, you know, um, I think it was just solidly entertaining, top to bottom. It was not exhausting. Some matches for me, the high point was Dominic versus Seth Rollins. I really enjoyed. Uh, and then, you know, going from that match all the way up until the very end, and I even include Mandy versus Sonya, I was very invested in almost everything. So I, I came out of this really enjoying the show. What is your prediction for what you do with Drew McIntyre next week? You know, I think what you suggested makes a lot of sense to me. There's really no other program that I think I, I could see Drew McIntyre in um, uh, other than a rematch with Randy Orton, which I hope Randy Orton wins. Cause to me, you extend this program. Like Randy Orton is such a good, good heel. Um, and Drew needs that person to chase in order to drag his story out a little bit longer. 
uh, before, you know, perhaps another coronation at next year's WrestleMania. And I think Randy Orton is that guy because there's no bigger heel than him. But if you disagree, chat room, please call in right now. We are taking your phone calls uh, at one seven three two eight hundred forty four twenty three or by Skype post wrestling. I, I think um, a lot of people will have a lot to say, and we look forward to hearing from all you guys. One thing I'll just add: it's that you know, unless like I, I think Drew works really well as champion. It, this is not a title reign that to me feels like you have to take it off of him. And if the idea is extend this a little and maybe wait till you do the Orton rematch. I could certainly see a scenario where they do some kind of uh, four corners match or some number one contender set up tomorrow on raw. And perhaps that's your way you introduce Keith Lee and you do drew and Keith on Sunday. And it's a hard fought match. Drew retains and you hold off Randy until next month or something or later. Do you really want to have Keith Lee lose right away though? You have him come in and be competitive with the champion. And that's, you know, hopefully that that's, you know, a stronger introduction. Yeah, I mean, I understand the theory. I mean, it's what they've done with like, you know, people like Brody Lee and Brian Cage. But um, I feel like Keith Lee is already beyond that. You know, Keith Lee, like, was shown to be going toe-to-toe with Brock Lesnar. And I think by this point, people enough people know who he is that you can really treat him as a serious contender, um, building him up for, you know, at the very least, like a U.S. title shot, if not uh, moving him all the way up to a, a main event title shot perhaps as a first challenge against randy orton if you're going to do something like that what i don't want to see is their version of matt riddle where he comes in and you can see they're pushing him but he's got to lose like immediately and he just is win some loses some and we don't have anything special four weeks from now so mm-hmm. i really hope that they have a solid plan for keith lee rather than let's call him up and we'll figure it out along the way so um they've got a lot of potential with Oops. him sorry about that again phone lines are open everybody let's uh Let's go to the forum, John. See what you guys thought. Okay, why don't you start us off? I got to pull it up. So, uh, out of 10, what did you guys think of SummerSlam 2020? 6.1 out of 10 from the forum. And we go to our first phone call here. I believe joining us right now. Uh, Hansi, are you there? Yeah, what's going on, guys? Can you hear me? We can yes. hear you. Hey, man, what did you think of uh, SummerSlam? I I I didn't I I there's a couple of matches that I didn't really I, I didn't really care for because again like the, it's not that the matches are bad it's just like the, like some of like the the build up like like with like the the tag team match like I do think they've kept Street Profits fairly strong but like the challengers throughout the whole build for like a lot of the matches were losing so I just I didn't really I, I so maybe really I didn't really care the, the matches that I did care for were Dominic and Seth which delivered I think that was probably the best match that was. Really, I was really, I was really good, man. Like I, I, I was impressed. Seth Rollins. Uh, his... Who, who would have thought? Like coming out of this weekend, the two matches that people would be talking about the most would be Dominic and uh, versus Seth Rollins and Pat McAfee versus Adam Cole. Yeah, <laughs> did you guys notice? I, 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 I was kind of on and off from listening, but did you guys notice that Seth's gear was uh, the same as uh, um, Rey Mysterio's? We, we discussed this, Hansi, if you uh, listened to the show or, earlier, which... No, no, no. I, I, was, but I, I was kind of on and off because like, I, I was catching up with multiple things, whatever, so I, I, I didn't want to bring it Hansi, yes, Hansi, Hansi. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But listen, uh, I, before the Roman Reigns thing happened, I was going to call in, I was ready to call in to say that I thought that Sasha and Asuka should have been invented, but 
Uh, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I, I haven't been the biggest fan of the Roman Reigns push, the way it's done. But, I mean, I guess the, the heart grows fonder when uh, they're gone because I, I'm not going to lie to you. I got excited. And uh, I like the new attitude of him. I, I really, uh, I don't know. Like, um, someone on Twitter was saying that if you make him a heel, I don't know if they're going to make him a heel, have him have the belt then. And I would love it if they build for a long program between Big E and him to Big E to take it at Mania. Okay. I know it might be mm. Goldberg. I, I, but before I go, I, the reason why I might mention Big E, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, Talking Smack uh, excerpt from, that was making the rounds. But what did you guys think of Big E and Miz's exchange? I thought that was really compelling. I thought that and I, that's what kind of inspired this. I want, I kind of want to see a Big E versus Roman Reigns feud down the line. And I'll, I'll leave you guys with that. I, I haven't seen it. Have you, John? Yeah, so they, I only saw like the, the clip that I think Hansi is referring to, and that was Big E bringing up that Kofi Kingston, he got his legs cut out from underneath him, and that, you know, he lost the title and then was out of the title picture. And The Miz is like, The Miz is playing his character, and he's stating that, you know, you can't blame anyone but yourself. I was in that position too, where I was WWE champion, and then I was forgotten about, and I only blame myself. And, you know, it, it was brought up that, you know, the, you know, of, Kofi Kingston, a guy that it took him so long to get to the title picture and then kind of got discarded and it opened up a a whole discussion on, you know, uh, the Miz and what he's been afforded and Kofi Kingston and, you know, having to battle upstream. And of course, that comes with like a race component as well to it as well, that Kofi Kingston had to work that much harder and then he's back to just doing the New Day stuff. Um you know, I, I took it as, you know, Miz and Biggie in part, like, that this is probably setting up something for them. Uh, like, there were clearly lines here directing you in that in that particular direction. But um, that was kind of the discussion of it. And, I mean, like, there's no doubt that Kofi reached a level. And then since then, I think a lot of people have been disappointed where Kofi has fallen. That I don't think anyone would have even noticed that, you know, he didn't even have any... Well, I mean, he's hurt right now, so it kind of throws out SummerSlam. But, I mean, doesn't have a whole lot going on, whether he's been hurt or not hurt. He's just in the latest tag title reign that they're on. Sounds like i got to start watching Talking Smack. Saturday mornings. Yeah. Uh, Some of you guys are trying to call in on, like, previous chats that might have been open. Don't do that. Look for a brand new – basically, just call post-wrestling and do not – make sure that nobody's – no one else's names are in the chat room. It's a little confusing, but some of you guys are trying to call in, and I can't put you guys there. Uh, so just make sure you're calling the right thing. Okay, uh, shall we go to the feedback thread? Yes, let's uh, start things off with our first one here comes from Andy in London. On the whole, I thought this was a decent enough show, and I was actually going to make a case for it being the best WWE show of the empty arena era, but then the final two matches happened. A backslide finish and a weak main event was a bit disappointing. The Dominic Rollins match was great. I enjoyed the women's title matches a lot. And I think the new Thunderdome aesthetic is making it much easier to enjoy WWE wrestling matches. Great to see Roman back, but the men's title matches dragged the show down for me. Six and a half out of ten. I totally disagree on Orton and McIntyre. I had no problem with the finish. If you want to extend a program, um, listen, I would have been as critical as anyone if they had gone 20 minutes and then you got some lame DQ finish to extend the program. I mean, this was a way he caught him. It was not done like he had... He was, uh, you know, defeated Randy Orton. It was, you know, he caught him, and this continues it. Um, I I didn't have any issue with that. I I like when you get surprise finishes every now and then. We go to the phone lines. MJ from NJ. 
How you doing, man? Hello, gentlemen. Hey, I, been a while. I, I, it has been. I hope you guys are well. Um, I love the spirited conversation. I feel like I'm about to enter into the uh, raw underground here and get my ass kicked. But my question is, why would Seth... That was ill. That was ill. That was sick. What? <laughs> Clearly, you're not watching Raw Underground. Oh, 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 oh. sorry, Shane. I, I forgot. Sorry, <laughs> Shane. All right, my okay. I understand 100% why Ray would want to continue the story, and I actually think the storytelling tonight was terrific. But if you already did the big stipulation, which was this eye for an eye match that was such a big deal, and Seth beat Ray, and then Dominic was coming to get retribution. Sorry, I had to for. Ray and Dominic loses. Why is Seth Rollins even bothering with the Mysterios anymore? That's why they would have to come up with a, something that would anger Seth Rollins in order to like calling him. him a coward. Not necessarily. Well, they, that's probably what they're going to do. Oh, something to to whatever would get under Seth Rollins' skin, and you know this whole greater good thing that he's trying to sell. Um, it, I mean, we're just talking about building the heat back up, aren't we? Like that's yeah, the payoff I, I to guess the story. Yeah. The payoff to the story is what I think we are looking for. I guess my issue with it is that they already did the big stipulate. Like it, all right, so, so it's like the Hell in a Cell thing. Like if you're building to the Hell in a Cell being the biggest, you know, the blow off, the payoff, okay, so, that should be the last match, not the first. And I guess I look at the eye for an eye thing. That was the like, heat though. That that's not the payoff though. I mean, that was the like whole... the inciting incident almost. You know, the reason why you want the hero to get revenge. He lost his eye. Okay, no, that, that's that's a good that's a good point. I I will have to think of it that way. That that was the jumping off point. Not- but we're talking from two different perspectives here, MJ. I mean, we're we're talking from like the, the the storytelling perspective, and you're talking it from Seth Rollins, the individual character, why he would not want to move on. But I mean, ultimately, it's like that's where the creative process is to continue this story and give you a logical ex- extension of this story, uh, because ultimately, this is got to continue and i think has has to have that that big moment where the mysterios triumph over this guy and, and i think and i think you actually suggesting um hell in a or at least inadvertently su- suggesting hell in a cell that sounds like it would be a great place for them to peek to and and maybe that is what it requires and another stipulation that somehow trumps the one of the eye for an eye plus the dominic stuff like it needs now because to me, we've had two stipulation matches here. I know Dominic's match wasn't a stipulation, but it was kind of like a an attraction. I guess it needs a third thing that's even bigger than that, and maybe it is a hell in a cell. And remember, like Seth himself is probably going to look to take time off soon. So if it's going to be one of these loser leaves town types of deals, like Rey Mysterio or Dominic would be the perfect people. It should yeah, be no, Seth losing his eye. Like that should really be like they they send Seth away. And he loses the eye. It's a pretty grand story. I, I give them credit, though, because tonight the storytelling within the match, like it definitely did come across and it did feel like there was something uh, more than just kind of the sight of seeing Dominic in his first match. Like it did feel like there was some emotional uh, intrigue there to how this would play out. Um, I Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, I have to say, like, you know, uh, I, I personally really turned a corner on this Seth Rollins thing. I clearly was not a fan of his, um, like, for several months uh, when he debuted this new character. But in the midst of this 
create Rey Mysterio angle, and much of this has to do with not just, you know, Seth Rollins, but, of course, the great work of, of Rey Mysterio uh, and, you know, Dominic at this point, too, uh, and the writers involved. Um, I've really turned a corner on him. There's a few performers that over this weekend I really had my eyes open to them. Uh, Seth being one of them, what you just said, Way. Also, Bailey has like really grown into her character, and I, I don't know how much of that needs to go credit to Sasha for just kind of being a great um, you know, the partner of Bailey's, but like she's grown into it. Dakota Kai in NXT, like that really came across this weekend. Uh, so, uh, you know, definitely these performers, uh, we could say whatever we want to say about creative, but like they're working hard to get across these characters in a weird environment. Uh, tonight came across, well, like this weekend just came across well for WWE, which is, I've been totally like off on the product lately, just not interested. And I really enjoyed watching the shows this weekend. AEW cool. was solid as well. Like, yeah, just a good weekend for wrestling. Well, I'll have to save my Dark Order conversation for another time because there's a convo I'd like to revisit from December at some later point. Happy to, MJ. Anytime. Thanks All right, call. guys. Take care. Stay safe. Appreciate it, buddy. See you. All right. Let's keep on going here. Uh, Cash writes, I hope he doesn't. Uh... Oh, he said he just bought Roman's new T-shirt. I hope Roman doesn't feel pressured coming back. It's of his own volition where he feels safe doing so. I have missed him. SummerSlam exceeded my tempered expectations. Randy and Drew was great and keeps it keeps it open-ended. Seth and Dominic was excellent, as was Osh, Asuka and Sasha. Eight out of ten show. We go to Bill who says, An okay show. Kept me watching the whole time, which has been tough lately. If Asuka was only winning one title tonight, I would have preferred her beating Bailey. I was hoping she would win both in the tag titles and all, have all the gold on one person. Uh, Roman Reigns equals leader of retribution dressed in all black with a shirt that says wreck all and leave. Don't really see that one happening. Um, you know, I, I think the idea of like having Oscar win all the belts, like would make for a wonderful visual would be make for a great photo, but it would massacre like, the rest of all of those divisions, even more so than what I think what we're, we've already cur- currently seen. Yeah, and I, I I disagree. I'm glad they did it the way they did with Bailey being. I just think there's there's so many more options for that than had it been the other way around. Um, I, I think that they did they did things the logical way tonight. Let's go to the phone lines. Staying in New Jersey, Brandon. Hey, I understand you're a call screener now. <laughs> So all these people are trying to like call Skype and like because they're calling into previous chat chats, Brandon is for somehow the recipient of all these calls. Oh Jesus! I was waiting for Brumavog Khan to call me. <laughs> <laughs> we had Jeez. we had Hansi, uh, uh, nice to hear from him, and then we had uh, MJ and his gallant voice uh, <laughs> calling on phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's keep it like that. Yeah, it's just just call me, not not you guys. I'll answer all your questions. Did you watch SummerSlam tonight? Of course, of course. It's been a long day, man. I, uh, the, 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 with the up next tailgate and the... How was the tailgate? Yeah. I, I don't care about your SummerSlam thoughts. I want to know the tailgate rundown. <laughs> Tell you it was tremendous. Uh, uh, there's pictures of me uh, on our treadmill while talking to Davey. And, oh, my goodness. And, and Braden... Uh, it was it was very it was fun. A lot of people were there. I think they had like a, a 45 50 people. It was it was a good turnout. You want to know something? I was out today on my bike and all of a sudden <laughs> where'd you go? <laughs> I look at my watch and it's like four o'clock 
And I like rode by their street and I was like, I, I could have just crashed the tailgate party, but I, I didn't want to be that person to just uh, show up oh, uninvited. On. But I was like right there and I knew their thing started at 3.30. So I, I could have made a cameo on my bike just to say, what's up to Brandon? <laughs> I would have been awesome. Unfortunately, we, <laughs> we'll have to wait another time to, to talk again, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to meet you one day. Absolutely, can't wait. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was a fun time. The, the boys did a good job. Uh, they continued to grow their operation and uh, to uh, arousing success, uh, growing, captivating, their, uh, cultivating a fan base and a community. Hey, uh, flip the page and then continue reading. <laughs> yes, I'd like to thank the academy, uh, <laughs> my mom and dad. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, John, did you watch fight? Did you hear about Fight Circus? Uh, bits and pieces, but I, I didn't see any of it. No. How, uh, tell us about, about fight circus. What is fight circus? Okay. So th- it's a promotion in, in, in Phuket, Thailand. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if they do COVID testing because <laughs> it looks absolutely, wild. I don't even know if they have COVID there. It looks wild there. Uh, it's in a nightclub. Uh, they have multiple styles. Uh, uh, one word was that no, we're just taking this in. Just keep going. Okay. One where you can headbutt people, which is interesting. Uh, this promoter named John Nutt, uh, who is a part stand-up comedian and part uh, ring announcer. And uh, I guess he's like the the uh, Jerry Seinfeld of Thailand out there. Uh, he's just <laughs> running around. What's the it, deal it, with calf kicks? <laughs> Uh, they had one fight where it was, it was, I, I think this was the one that's, uh, making the rounds on, on, on Twitter. Uh, it was a two on one fight between, uh, these two brothers that were break dancers versus an MMA fighter from, from Russia. It, it was an absolute hoot. The two this, brothers won. This, this seems like the gateway to get way fully back into MMA. And I think the two of you actually reviewing fight uh, circus would be premium content. And it was on Cam Soda. I don't know if you heard of that site before, but a lot of naughty things happened there. But uh, it was free on there. You have to t- you, the way you pay the fighters. Uh, the way you, uh, I think, pay the fighters is if you you tip them, like you tip a a, a bartender. <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird system they have. But uh, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. It's it was an outlaw. It was like it reminded me of the old days of of, uh, of MMA combat sports. Uh, it was an outlaw mud show to say uh, to, to say the least. Yeah, it's it's not too often we get two on one fights anymore. So nice callback to. Uh... There was one fight that was supposed to happen. It was it was basically like two tours versus a, a pro fighter, and they pulled it last second for a Kyoshin karate fighter versus a kickboxer. Well, Brandon, thank you for this live report. Uh, my my Twitter mentions are going to get blown up at this point. So uh, we we have got to be. I you. love you guys. Farewell. SummerSlam was awesome. Way I love you. Likewise. Brandon from New Jersey. Shall we continue, Way? You're up. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we go to, uh, I believe, uh, Son- Sonata. Sonata, who says, As bad as the TV has been, this felt strong top to bottom. The star of the show for me was Asuka. In particular, that match with Sasha was brilliant. I love the submission transitions they get into. Roman's return felt well done. Feels big. Feels he- hellish. Feels exciting. I'm eager to see where they go next. A nine out of ten. 
Brian from New York. Felt like every match delivered tonight. A cohesive story between Asuka's two matches that keeps WWE's longest-running storyline between Sasha and Bayley moving perfectly on course. We had Dominic Mysterio live up to lofty expectations in his first match, and Mandy and Sonya put a bow on an excellent feud with a great blow-off match, which couldn't have been easy with the events of the past week. And just as importantly, the night ended with two WWE title matches that left us wanting more, without even having to resort to cheap DQs and countouts or interference. McIntyre Orton had the feel of a main event title match throughout, but the quick finish that shied away from the red herring of using one of their finishers leaves open an opportunity for a hot gimmick match at payback. On the SmackDown side, getting the belt off Strowman and the big Reigns return sets up both an interesting main event picture and at least the question of some character tweaks for Roman. Even if not, it felt really good to have Reigns back on TV. This is the way you want to leave one of your big shows of the year. All in all, thumbs up show. Finally, we got a cam. Not Cam Soda, but Cam, who says, My biggest takeaway tonight, Otis finally remembered his briefcase to celebrate with Mandy, but didn't care to even attempt to cash in on The Fiend after Roman speared him. Vince putting the biggest pop prop on a low-card performer is my GTFOH moment of 2020. Side note, Angie standing on the ramp like a prop was awkward, and I wish they at least had her pacing or just returned backstage. Even more awkward were the shots where you see a cameraman inches from her, camera in face. Okay. Um, do, no, okay. Uh, legitimate question uh, about Otis. Do you think that this hurt Otis? Not, you know, I guess they could explain it. I, I think since he's won this briefcase, I think he's become such an afterthought on the show. Um, I, I think the value in Otis is some heel getting a lot of heat by beating him for this briefcase. Um, I, I just don't see him as, you know, that kind of player um, in that, that title scene. Um yeah, yeah, I don't know either. I don't know if the plan initially was to hopefully, but at some point this year, elevate him to that status. But they're nowhere near it. And if anything, I will say he's definitely cooled off from you know perhaps his you know some of the heights of this Mandy Otis storyline. And we're talking about a Mandy Rose now that is it feels far more evolved. She feels far more evolved than like you know just sort of like the the one a uh, part of the Otis story. It's tough because that whole story it was about. The, the the chase, so, so to speak. And they finally, after all the ups and downs, had the big kiss. And that was at WrestleMania. And after it, it's like, okay, well, now the big, now they're the couple. And where do you go from there? And I don't think they've had really a place to go. While Mandy is at this great program with Sonya, Otis has been a background player. And I I don't know. It's To me, he, he has significantly cooled off from where he was pre-WrestleMania. Yeah, he didn't have a uh, program for SummerSlam, so we shall see if he's one of the, the ones that gets, you know, some story coming out of this. What would you have given SummerSlam out of 10, Way? Uh, I thought it was a solid 7 out of 10. Yeah, I'd go 7. 7 is uh, where, where I would rank this one. I, I enjoyed the show tonight. It was a good show from the company, and I think, uh, importantly, you come out of it where you're curious about a lot of directions. I would say with both title programs, you have an interest the SmackDown one mainly centering around Roman and where, where he goes. But that that's a big return for SmackDown to have him back now. Satisfying matches, you know, satisfying uh, big surprises in a Roman Reigns return. And um, yeah, I mean, three hours. What, what more could you ask for? That's it. Well, that's what we're going to get tomorrow night. Three more hours from WWE as Raw goes to the Thunderdome. That was the whole promo tonight on Raw was just promoting the Thunderdome.
and the raw talent entering and is he, the Thunderdome. And is the underground also migrating to the Thunderdome? Ooh, a great question. Yes. Will we go underground? It was it was interesting. If you watch tonight's show, you would have no no inkling of raw underground. You would also have barely any knowledge of what retribution is. It seemed like uh, they just put all that stuff to the side. Like this was a much more straightforward, story driven, match driven kind of pay per view. It's going to be weird, you know, like going from sort of like the the most extravagant production they've had ever for a Monday Night Raw to like what is supposed to be an incredibly dingy, non-produced underground set, Mm -hmm. which I'm assuming they're going to have to like rebuild. Possibly. Yeah. Um, Maybe keep some of the look, but yeah, have to uh, redo. And they've got a lot to do tomorrow night. They've got to put most of that pay-per-view together and they've got two shows to do it and probably... I would think you would want most of that card knowing by the end of Raw. Oh, yeah, I would think so, too. Yeah. If not the first segment, really. Like, at least the main event. Mm-hmm. No, like, even for for this, the, the special circumstances here, like, I would not be opposed to having some injection of SmackDown announcements as well. Like, I would not want to wait till Friday to yeah. set up Roman Reigns uh, doing whatever. So we'll, we'll see how creative they get on, on Monday for Raw. But uh, we've got Keith Lee on the show. And beyond that, I don't think we know anything else for Raw as of now. So Wayne and I will be back Monday night following Raw, so look out for that. Uh, I also uh, want to give a big thank you to uh, Andrew Thompson and Kristen Ashley for all their help uh, tonight on the site. Uh, we had a lot of great coverage all throughout the night uh, for SummerSlam and news during the day. So a thank you to them for their assistance up at postwrestling.com. Way, thank you as always, and thank you to all of the callers, all of you for tuning in live. And that is it. Good night, everybody.